0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good
1: morning. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 11, 1 through 24, if you'd like to read along with us. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, they would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Frank, you got that timer going? Yes, sir. Good man. Oh, man, I got to get going. Hey, welcome to New King this morning. We're, we're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're new to New King and you're wondering who I am, my name's Eric. I'm part of the leadership team here, and uh, usually every four to five weeks, uh, I'm, I'm allowed to stand up and, and do a little sermon for you, and this is that week. Are you ready? Oh yeah, this is going to be great. The Lord has given me some really interesting insights uh, on this passage today. And uh, I can't share all of them with you. There isn't enough time. But if you're here today, if you're online today and you have doubts about who Jesus is, you have come to the right place. If you're here today and you are discontent with the church, you've come to the right place. If you are here today and somehow you came through that door and you do not believe, if you're filled with disbelief, you have come to the right place because Jesus is going to answer all three of these things in this passage. Those in doubt, John the Baptist. Those with discontent, this generation. Those in disbelief, the three cities. Which category are you in this morning? Let's pray. Father God, help me as I try my best through the power of the Spirit to speak your word, to teach your word, to use the words of the living God to encourage and to help and to witness to the one, to Jesus. Help me prepare the heart for those that hear, that they may have ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John the Baptist. He brings his doubts. So in the first three verses of this section, we have the question. So in verses 1 through 3, we have the question, uh, and then Jesus responds, and he responds with an answer and with an example. Okay, so there's the question, the answer, and then the example. You ready? When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their city. So he's continuing his ministry. The previous chapter, he sent out the 12. Jesus is now continuing in Galilee to preach and to teach. And there's John. The commentators always say this languishing in prison. I don't think that, when I think of languishing, I think of kind of sitting back, you know and just kind of relaxing. I don't think it was quite as nice as the word languishing sounds in my mind. John was in prison. Why? Why was John in prison? He was in prison for calling out government corruption at the highest level. Do you know that? He got in the face of King Herod and said, hey man, you are living with 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 your brother's wife and you shouldn't be doing that. Boom, in prison he goes. So he was speaking out against the government. And John is now under a death sentence. He's in prison. He's under a death sentence. If we ever get to Matthew 14, maybe in 2024, if we ever get there, we'll see that John does die. A violent death. So, what do you do when you're in prison? You've got a lot of time to think. So John begins to think. He begins to reflect. And John identifies his problem. What was his problem? It says in verse 2, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, the Messiah, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we, shall we look for another? What was John's problem? Well, if you remember back 18 years ago when we started Matthew's gospel, in chapter 3, John was, was risen up and he began to preach. And what did he preach? Two things, repentance and judgment. He got in the face of the leaders and said, You brood of vipers, the fires of judgment is upon you. The axe is laid to the tree. And that's what he expected. That's what he preached. And so he's sitting in prison, languishing in prison, hanging back, sitting around, thinking, and he hears about what Jesus is doing. Where's the judgment? He says. What's going on? I'm in prison. Why aren't I broken out? Why isn't Herod thrown down? Why aren't the Jews brought back? Why isn't God judging? He had a problem. So he goes to Jesus. He saw all the things that Jesus did. Miracles of healing, the wonderful words of teaching. Where's the judgment? He says, I'm sitting here on death row. Why isn't Jesus bringing judgment and vengeance? And you know, you and I are like this. We read the word of God, we think we understand it, and then we look out to the world and it doesn't quite fit. You and I are just like John the Baptist. And we say, how do we bring it together? How do we make it fit? How do we make our theology match our experience? Because it needs to. John's assessment of the working out of the kingdom of God doesn't line up with what he thinks should be happening. Maybe that's happening to you. And you begin to ask the question, Jesus, are you the one? See, this is a question about identity. Jesus, are you really who you say you are? Are you the one? And what does John do? What does he do? He goes to Jesus. It couldn't be more simple. He goes to Jesus. He goes to Jesus. He goes to the one that he thinks is the one, that he really knows is the one. He goes to him. That's the first lesson from this passage. He goes to, he doesn't go to his friend, or maybe he talks to his disciples, but he sends them, right? He can't go himself. He's in prison. He goes to Jesus. He doesn't go to the culture. Doesn't go to the government. Doesn't go to his inner self and say, well, if I could just bring my inner self out, I'd be happy here in prison. No. He goes to Jesus. Man, twenty years ago a movie came out. I gotta talk about this just for a second. One of the one of the all time great science fiction movies. The Matrix. Right? So you have this character played by Keanu Reeves. I mean, the most one-dimensional actor the world has ever seen, right? <laughs> he's, got, uh, he's got good looks. I'll give him that. He, he, his name is Thomas Anderson, Mr. Anderson. You remember all that? And he's living in this world that isn't real. And the whole point of the movie is to identify a savior that will come and release them into reality. So, if you Google the matrix and Christianity, you will see a thousand websites about the Christian themes in the matrix. And, and Neo, right, his name is Neo, given this name Neo, that's an anagram for one, the one. And the whole movie, he's walking around like a dumbhead. Am I the one? Oh, uh, I don't know if I'm the one, am I the one? And he goes everywhere he can find to find out if he's the one. What's his name? Thomas Anderson. Thomas. Why Thomas? Why did they choose Thomas? Doubting Thomas. He doubted who he was. He didn't know. He wasn't sure. Anderson, if you break that word down, it means son of man. These guys knew what they were doing. Jesus knows exactly who he is. Is He is the one, and he knows it. Sometimes people will say, if Jesus could come back today and see what we've made of him, he would be sickened and say, you guys got it all wrong. I was just a good teacher. No! Jesus is the one. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the one that died for our sins. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the one, and this passage will prove it. Oh, man. Here we go. So, what does Jesus say? What does he respond? I've got to get moving. Ten minutes into it already. The answer. Verses 4 through 6. Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? Here's Jesus' answer. It's a surprising answer. You expect something completely different than this because just remember, John saw all the deeds, all the works of Jesus, and what does Jesus respond to? His deeds and his works kind of an answer is that? Verse four, Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see and hear, or what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and then a little beatitude, a little fascinating beatitude, the blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So how is this an answer? What is Jesus trying to get across to this man? This prophet of God, stuck in prison, on death row. What is he trying to say to him? Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. Jesus, when John's disciples come with the question, says, okay, Let's go where? To Scripture. Are you starting to see what this message is about? When you have doubts, you go to Jesus. You go to Scripture, right? You go to Scripture. So Jesus quotes a very, very specific Scripture from the Old Testament, primarily from Isaiah 35. Another great prophet, right? John would have immediately recognized this. See, Jesus is sort of giving a kind rebuke to John. John, my friend, you're a prophet. Let me direct your heart to another prophet, your predecessor, Isaiah. Remember what he said? The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing with John. He's saying to him, John, have you forgotten your Bible? Have you forgotten your Bible? That's what Jesus is saying to us today. We have doubts. Oh, you've forgotten who I am. You've forgotten your Bible. Go to me. Come to me. Come to the Bible. Come to Scripture. That's what he's doing. Really, really simple. And then that funny little beatitude. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It all hinges on that word offended. In the Greek, the word is scandalon. Mm. You know what word we get from that? Scandal. <coughs> you like that? Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know. Scandalon. Blessed is the one who was not scandalized by me. The word scandal means outrage to the point of rejection. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, John, go to scripture, remember your Bible, remember who you are, remember who I am. He's saying, dear John, My teaching and my ministry is radical and revolutionary. I know that. It clearly goes against all the cultural norms of the day. It creates a reaction. It makes you uncomfortable. You feel the approach of identifying with me. You become part of the scandal. You're identified with it. Oh, but blessed is the man. Blessed is the man that feels this but doesn't depart. That doesn't go. You see, this is a good thing. If you really understand the gospel and the scandal associated with it, you will begin to feel what it means to be a Christian. You hear it, you feel it, you begin to understand it, you begin to own it, you begin to identify with it, but you don't depart. You don't leave. You're not outraged to the point of rejection. Blessed are you. Maybe that's you sitting here this morning. You believed in Jesus, and now you start to see his teaching. You begin to see it. You begin to doubt. You're offended in our society. Who wouldn't be offended by the teaching of Jesus? You're angry. You're outraged. Doesn't fit what you think the kingdom of God should look like. Is that you? Now we come to the example. Example. We come to the example. What is the example? A man from the Old Testament, another prophet, Elijah. Don't have time to go into all this. As they went away, verse 7, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, and he starts running this whole story about Elijah. And he's basically saying, John is Elijah. If you believe it, if you have... Eyes to see and ears to hear. This is Elijah. Why? Well, first of all, he's a prophet. And he comes in the spirit of Elijah. All that stuff. But I want to focus on something else. Something else. If you read the story of Elijah way back in 1 Kings 18, you'll see that Elijah stands before 450 prophets of Baal. And what happens? You're shaking your head. He defeats them. Takes him down. Unbelievable victory. And then in chapter 19, unbelievable victory uh, for God before these false prophets. Then chapter 19 shows up. And Jezebel says, you know, I don't like this young guy. I don't like what he did. I want to kill him. So we have the same thing. We have a death sentence coming down from the ruler. Same exact thing. And what happens to Elijah? He stands in her face and says, try it. No. No. He hides under a tree, runs away, hides under a tree, and says, oh, God, kill me. And then he gets up from the tree, and where does he go? He goes to a cave, right? You know the story, right? He goes to a cave, and God says, okay, Elijah, what are you doing here? What's up with this? 1 Kings 19, you've got to read it. If you've never read it, you've got to read it. And God says, okay, Elijah, I'm going to show you. This is identity again. It's exactly the same thing. It's identity. I'm going to show you who I am. And what happens first? (sighs) Big hurricane comes. Hurricane before his eyes, and God says, I'm not there. What happens next? Anybody know? He sends an earthquake. Big earthquake, whole place shakes, everything. God says, I'm not there either. I know you think I'm there, but I'm not there. Last one, sends fire. (laughs) big conflagration. Can't even say the word. I'm so excited. God's not there either. Where's God? What happens? There's a whisper, right? You know the story. There's a whisper. There's a still, small voice, and God says, that's where I am. I'm that whisper. I'm that whisper. I'm coming in a way that you can't imagine, a way that you can't, you think you know me? I'm coming in a whisper to your soul. I am coming in a whisper, in a still small voice, in a way of weakness that you will not ever expect. That's me. And that whisper, if you hear it, will change everything. Everything, everything in your life. How does that little whisper change everything? Let's look at verse 12. I'm sorry I'm skipping a lot of stuff. But verse 12 is a fascinating verse. From the days of John the Baptist until now, Jesus says... The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? We don't like that word violence today, but there it is, twice. What does it mean? What is Jesus trying to say to John? If you look at three different translations, you'll see this Verse translated three different ways. I have three big thick commentaries on Matthew. I looked at all three. All three gave different views of what this verse means. Why? The word for violence here is in the middle voice in the Greek. Now, we don't even, most of us don't even know English, and we can maybe talk about past tense and future tense. Greek is very precise. It's in the middle voice, and what that means is. Um, It can be either passive or active, depending on the context. So it can be either passive or active. And that's where translators and commentators come in. they got to basically decide which way to go. And that's why you have three different translations, three different commentaries, all that. So if it's active, it means this. You ready? The kingdom of heaven produces violence. It comes violently. If it's passive, the kingdom of heaven receives violence. The old King James says, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. It suffers violence. So which is it? I think it's both. I think it's both. Let me tell you about the first. Let's talk about active. The kingdom of heaven comes violently. How does this fit into this context If you hear that still, small voice from Jesus in your heart, if you hear it in your soul and you put your faith in him, everything in your life will change. Everything will be upheaved. Everything will be different. You have a new life. You have a new mindset. You have new priorities. Everything you look at is different. Your family, your friends, your spouse, your job, everything is upheaved yeah and we call that i'll just give you one example for time we call that the new birth why do we why does jesus say you got to be born again why does he use that metaphor of being born again now who here recently just had a baby what's that like there's yelling and there's screaming and there's blood and there's guts Oh, my word, it is the most violent thing in the world. And all of a sudden, a new life is produced, and you can't believe it. You hear that baby cry, and everything fades away. New birth comes violently. That's why Jesus uses the metaphor. Everything is new, but it comes through violence. Everything in your life is changed. You have new life in Christ. What about the passive? I'll talk about that at the end. Don't let me forget. Okay. So we've got to move on. Lots to talk about here, and we've got, oh, boy, plenty of time. So listen, if you have doubts, if you wrestle with the teachings of the church, if you feel reproach, if you feel the scandal of of the cross, that's good. That means God's working in your soul, and you're starting to really understand who Jesus is and what he did. You're deeply understanding the gospel. Blessed are you. Go to Jesus. Go to his word and let the words of the master teach you. Okay, part two this generation and their discontent. You ready for this? Sorry I skipped a bunch. That's just how it goes. Um, So, verse 16 But what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, you did not dance, we sang a dirge you did not mourn. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of a man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So what's going on? Jesus is talking about a scene that he's seen, and everybody in that day has seen over and over. Kids in the marketplace playing games. Right? Their parents are shopping. Their parents are working. The kids get together and they play games. One says, "Hey, let's play wedding. How about that? Let's play wedding. Uh, John, you can be the um, the groom. Rachel." Rachel here today? No, she's not here today. Rachel could be the bride, and and Ben could be the minister, and they say, let's play wedding. And half the kids say, I don't want to play wedding. I don't feel like it. It's not what I want to play. Let's play funeral. Let's sing a dirge. Let's let's play funeral. And Aaron, you can be the dead guy. Right? And Frankie, you can be the undertaker. He's kind of a good undertaker-looking guy, I think. I don't want to play that game. I don't want to do that. You know what that's like? We've all seen it. We've all done it. It's really about, to sum it up, it's really about who's in control. It's really about who has the flute. We want the flute. There's a term that was used back in my day, I'll take my ball and go home because you won't play my way. That's what this is all about. You won't do it the way I want it to do. You see the tie-in between the previous section? John says, I want you to come in vengeance. I want you to come in judgment. I want you to come, I want you to come my way. It's not how the gospel comes. It's not how the kingdom of heaven comes. It doesn't come your way. It comes Jesus' way. So same thing here. This generation is so discontent, is what Jesus says. Maybe last week you came to Vision Sunday and you heard all the great stuff that's going on and you said, well, my thing wasn't there. How come we're not doing A, B, or C? And I can't name A, B, or C because I know that it probably wouldn't create a good thing because I wouldn't name your particular thing. And you'd be mad, right? That's just how we are. Let's, let's admit it. This is how we are. Scripture deals with who we are and how we are. Don't think you can't fit yourself into any of these three because you can, right? So, so you come and you're a little, your nose is, boy, my nose is big. Your nose is a little bent out of shape because, hey, my little vision part wasn't there and I don't think I'm going to go to New King anymore. I'm going to take my ball and bat. I'm going to go home. I'm going to play it my way. Is that what you think? So then Jesus says, Uh, Before I go there, I got to tell you, there's another D that I'm hearing a lot about these days, and it makes me very, very nervous. Deconstruction. Holy smokes, I cannot tell you the number of Christians that I've heard use that term. Well, where are you in your walk with Jesus? Well, I'm deconstructing my faith. You know what? When you come to a certain age, if you've grown up in a Christian home, it's good to figure out what you believe. Don't get me wrong. But what I often see in this deconstruction of faith is I'm going to look at the main teachings of Christendom, and I'm going to throw out what I don't like. I'm going to throw it out, right? I don't like male leadership. Yeah, I know us males have made a mess of it. We're not very good examples sometimes. That's what the Bible teaches. (sighs) It just goes on and on and on. Aaron says, go, Eric, go. Say it, say it, say it. I know what you're thinking. You deconstruct it to the point where you say, not where is the judgment. You say, I don't want to hear about the judgment anymore. And next thing you know, the idea of Jesus suffering on the cross. For our sins is abhorrent to you because you don't like it, because you think it's violent, because you think it's awful, because you think it's abuse. And you say, I'll throw that out. You know what? You throw that out, you don't have the gospel anymore. Be very, very careful with your deconstruction. You want to go and instead of looking at things to throw them out, you want to look at them to confirm them. Right? That's what you want to do. Okay, so you're welcome. So then Jesus, this is really cool, he applies this idea of wedding and funeral to John and himself. He says, John, yeah, he's a tough guy. He's the dirge. Right? He came eating and didn't, didn't eat and drink, and he was a pretty tough guy, and he ate the locusts and all that junk. Yeah, he was the dirge. But then Jesus says, I'm the dance. I'm the dance, he says. That's perfect timing. There's a dirge and a dance. There's a dirge and a dance. And people are not satisfied with either one. Right? Listen to me. The gospel is both dirge and dance. It is both negative and positive. It is both a funeral and a wedding. Do you know that? Yeah. The, the, that's the gospel. He's trying to get him back to the gospel. It's a funeral. Whose death? Your death. Death of self. We don't want to hear that. It makes us mad. I don't want to do that. I want to do it my way. I want to earn my way to God. No, Jesus said, you can't. I've already done the work. It's a funeral for Jesus. He died so that we could dance. So that we could be part of the wedding party. So that we could be the the bride. He's the groom. Are you discontent? Come to, see, to Jesus and see his deeds. Oh, I forgot. Wisdom, the last part. Wisdom, the funny little verse right at the end. This is really, really cool. Wisdom. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. The very end of 19, wisdom is justified. What is that? Listen, it uses a pronoun her. Where in the Bible of anywhere is wisdom called to her. Proverbs, yeah, there you go, Proverbs 8. Know your Bible. Proverbs 8. Wisdom is personified as a woman at the crossroads. Not the devil, to to have you learn guitar really well. It's a woman. Wisdom is a woman at the crossroads calling out, please, please listen to me. And as Proverbs 8 unfolds, you then learn (laughs) who this woman is. You know who it is? Wisdom says, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, there was I beside him. This is a quote from Proverbs 8. Like a master workman, I was daily His delight, and rejoicing in him always. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's who wisdom is, personified as a woman. Now think about that, Aaron. Think about that. Wisdom is a woman. Oh my word, we could talk about that for a long time. I can't, I can't. Are you discontent? Come to Jesus, see his deeds, soak in his wisdom, wisdom. The end of Proverbs says, this is Sophia, the the woman personifies wisdom, says at the very end, verse 35, for whoever finds me finds life. Come to Jesus. Okay, the last part, I gotta go quick. Last part three cities and their disbelief, verses 20 to 24. This is the most sober of the three groups, and it's progressing. You come to doubt, you come to discontent, and now you come to full-flown disbelief. And what does it talk about? I don't have time to read it. There's two main themes. Theme number one, I saw the works of Jesus. I saw his mighty works, and I chose not to believe it wasn't a lack of evidence. Sometimes you and I say, "Man, if I could just see Jesus do a miracle in my life, I'd really believe." They saw it in the face of overwhelming evidence. That's what this portion teaches over and over and over. He did mighty deeds. They chose, all three of chose not to believe. in the face of the evidence. And we learn something about unbelief. It takes work to disbelieve. It takes effort. To have the evidence in front of you and to say, no, I don't believe it. It's hard to do that. It's effort. It takes effort to see miracles done before your eyes and to actively reject them. Theme number two. Such unbelief in the face of overwhelming evidence results in judgment. Look at the words. Denounced. Woe brought down to Hades, judgment. They are held responsible for their disbelief. Okay, John, here's the judgment you want. There it is. This is a dire warning. If you're sitting here today and you you have seen miracles here at New King. You have seen the dead raised they've put their faith in Jesus and they now have new life in Christ. If you've seen people healed of their sins, if you see people baptized, identifying with the death and resurrection for Jesus, that's the biggest miracle there ever was. If you've seen that and you've witnessed it, you say, yeah, I I don't really believe any of that stuff. I'm just here because, you know, a cool friend or two is here. Miss Shirley's here. I'm going to hang out with her and she's cool. Be careful. There's a warning here of judgment. Now, is that all there is? Is that that the end of it? Very last part of the chapter, which we didn't read. Verse 28. Jesus says to you who are in disbelief, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Take your burden of unbelief and throw it down and believe in the one. If you don't do that, notice what John says at the very beginning. The very beginning question was, are you the one or should we look for another? If you don't, rest in Jesus. If you don't, your whole life will be looking for something else that will never satisfy. It will be money, sex, or power those three things. Put your trust in Jesus. Are you you doubting? Come to Jesus and let his word answer your questions. Are you discontent? Come to Jesus and let his wisdom soothe your soul. Are you disbelieving? Be careful. I warn you, come to Jesus. Cast your burden on him and let me give you rest. One more thing. What about that passive tense of that crazy word for violence? I've got to end with that because it's so important. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. I'm just going to turn very briefly to the passage that um, Jesus quoted, uh, Isaiah 35, and here's what it says. Say to those who have an anxious heart, this is the fourth verse Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer. Then the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. There is violence there. Where is it? John had a great question. John had a great problem. Where's the violence? Where's the judgment? Where's the recompense? You know the answer, don't you? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. It was Jesus that took it. Do you not see? It was Jesus that suffered it. Jesus proclaims to us in a still, small voice, it was me. I suffered the violence. I took the judgment so that you could be in the kingdom of heaven. I was the promised son, Isaac, three days bound to be killed. I was the ram caught in the thicket that was offered instead of the son. That was me. That's what Jesus whispers to you. I was Joseph of old, cast in a pit, left for dead, sold into slavery. But I was the savior that was delivered from that pit and saved a family and a people. In Egypt, the angel of death came through that very night to kill the firstborn. He was the lamb that was slaughtered. Jesus says, I was the lamb. It was my blood on the doorpost that saved those sons. I was Jonah cast into the sea to save the crew. I was the one in the great belly of the fish for three days and three nights, brought back from sure death to preach the gospel to a lost city. It was me that bore the waves and the billows of all God's judgment and wrath. You see, if you get rid of the wrath, if you don't like it, you don't have the gospel anymore. That's who Jesus is. That's what he did for us. Do you not see that? And so we place our faith in Jesus. We go from death to life. Instead of being children of wrath, we become children of God. Through that still, small voice, through that weak way, there's the judgment. There's the vengeance. There's the violence. It was upon the head of our dear Savior, Jesus. Father God, thank you for this passage. We ask that you would bring it to the hearts of those that doubt, those that are discontent, and those that disbelieve. Father, let that still, small voice cause a new life and a violent upheaval in their lives as everything becomes new. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.